Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan. I'm joined today by Maddie Watts, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Rabbits Insurance, my personal independent disability insurance broker. We will talk more about Pearson Rabbits later in the episode, but without further ado, let's move on to torturing Maddie. Maddie, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing good, but I'm a little nervous because you said you were really excited about this case, which makes me less than excited. <laughs> <laughs> I am very excited for this case, but let's get into it. Today is round number 18 of The Game. Maddie will need to perform today's case in real ABEM oral boards format. She has 15 minutes to complete the full case, and she does not know what the case is ahead of time. <clears throat> if Maddie hits all of the critical actions that I have listed out beforehand, she wins. If she doesn't, or if she performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me, they are not derived from actual ABM cases that I had, and they are not real patients. Maddie, take out a piece of paper and a pencil, place the paper sideways in front of you, outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. All right, Dr. Watts, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the full case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? Nope. Okay, let me get my timer set for 15 minutes. Okay, Maddie, your case has begun. You are working at Clerkship General when you hear an EMS call on the base command radio. Clerkship General, we're bringing you Arthur again. He is intoxicated. ETA, two minutes. All right, sounds good. Um, so two minutes go by and I walk in the room. Uh, what do I see? You see a disheveled male um, who is awake, seemingly alert on the EMS stretcher. All right, I'll um, go ahead and take the EMS report while my nurse is working on getting some vital signs. Sure. Hey, Doc, we brought you Arthur. You know the deal. He's drunk. He's asking for pizza. No signs of any trauma. You know, the usual. Have any questions? Uh, where'd you pick him up from? Um, so w we found him sitting on the sidewalk. Uh, a bystander uh, called us saying that there was a male who was passed out on the sidewalk, but I think he's just drunk. He woke up immediately and seems to be acting in his normal self. Okay. No signs of trauma or blood on the scene? Nope. Okay. Uh, vital signs en route? Uh, looks like heart rate of 114, respiratory rate of 26, blood pressure 155 over 84. We didn't get a temp on him. Okay. Um, sounds good. And any point of care blood sugar? Uh, 95. Okay. All right. Um, and is he able to give any history? Yeah, he's awake. Okay, sounds good. All right, um, EMS, you guys can go ahead and head out. And then what's our opening set of vitals here? Um, your opening set of vitals, you have a heart rate of 116, a respiratory rate of 26, a blood pressure of 150 over 70, and a temperature of 98.8. All right. Did we get a no-two sat? Uh, 
the nurse thanks you for reminding him to check. Um, the O2 set was 85% on room air. Oh, okay. Um, so let's put him on a couple liters of nasal cannula, see if we can target a, a saturation of 94 or higher. Um, hey, Arnold, my name's Dr. Watts. Nice to meet you. What brought you in today? Hey, Doc. Didn't I see you the other day? Y'all got any pizza? I'm starving. Yeah, maybe we've met before. Um, so I heard from the uh, EMS that you were sitting on the side of the road and somebody thought you might have passed out. I don't know. I'm just drunk. Where's that pizza? Okay. Did you fall? No. Did you pass out? Uh, I may have fallen asleep. Okay. Are you hurting anywhere? No. Okay. Any headache? No, my head doesn't hurt. Chest pain, difficulty breathing? You know, now that I think about it, I've, I've been feeling a little short of breath the last last day, day or so. Okay. Uh, any abdominal pain or vomiting? No. Okay. Um, any pain in your legs? No leg pain. Any leg swelling? Not that I've noticed. Okay. Any medical history? Uh, Arthur has a history of hypertension. All right. Um, any medications that you take on a daily basis? Uh, he has a long list in his chart, but he is not compliant and not taking any medications. Okay. Any allergies to medicines? No known drug allergies. Okay. Any surgical history? He's had an appendectomy before. Okay. Arthur, how much do you drink? Not enough. Do you drink every day? I do. Okay. Um, have you ever stopped drinking? Nope. Okay. Never had the shakes or any symptoms whenever you've stopped for a period of time, even a couple hours? I never stop. So no. Okay. Ever, ha ever had a seizure? Nope. Okay. Um, all right. And then any other drug use? Uh, no, just cigarettes when I can find one or bum one. Okay. All right. Um, so do my physical exam for starters. Do I see any external signs of trauma, any abrasions, lacerations, bruises? Uh, you see no external signs of trauma. Okay. Um, and then I test his, um, Pupils, his upper and lower extremity strength, coordination. Um, does he have any focal neurologic deficits? Um, let's see. Pupils are equal round reactive. Um, and he has equal symmetric strength in all four extremities. Is there anything else you okay. wanted to check? Um, is any facial asymmetry speech, I'm assuming, is a little bit slurred, but otherwise fluent? Yes, he has mild dysarthria. Um no other focal deficits on your cranial nerve exam. Okay. Um, I do a cardiopulmonary exam. Uh, any notable findings? Uh, you hear faint bibasilar rails. Um, he has mildly increased work of breathing, but um, no loud murmurs. He has symmetric pulses in all four extremities. Okay. Any pitting edema or signs of DVT in his lower extremities? 
he has plus one pitting edema to bilateral lower extremities. It is symmetric. Okay. Abdomen is soft, non-tender. Correct. Okay. Um, all right. And then glancing at his chart, what medications is he supposed to be taking? Uh, looks like hydrochlorothiazide, lisinopril, atorvastatin, metformin, and a bunch of vitamins. Okay. All right. Um, and then since he's been placed on nasal cannula, can we get a repeat O2 sat? And um, how much oxygen is he requiring? Uh, he seems to be 95% on three liters nasal cannula. Okay. All right. And so you said you've been feeling short of breath for just the last day or so. Is that both at rest and when you're exerting yourself or just when you're up and walking around? Uh, all the time. Okay. Have you ever felt this way before? Nope. Okay. Have you ever had any problems with your heart? Nope. Any problems with your lungs, asthma, COPD? Nope. Ever had a blood clot? What's that? I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, we're going to do some tests. Your oxygen levels were a little low, and so I just want to make sure there's nothing going on. Um... When was the last drink that you had? About 30 minutes ago. Okay. All right. So I'd like to get an EKG, a chest x-ray, a CBC, a BMP, a troponin, and a BNP, and a D-dimer. And then um, I, it sounds like he drank just recently, but I'd like to have the nurse do CWA assessments every couple hours just to make sure he's not starting to withdraw. Um, and we, we'll just start with that. Okay. Um, the EKG, the chest x-ray, and the BMP have all been sent to you. Um, the CBC... This is the world's fastest lab. Yeah. CBC has already come back. White blood cell count of 8, a hemoglobin of 14, and a platelet count of 170. Did you get all that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the BNP was normal. Um, the D-dimer was normal. Okay. All right, so um, starting from the top, I'm looking at his EKG. I see regular P waves and a narrow QRS. It looks like a um, sinus tachycardia at about 100. Um, I am looking at his ST segments. Um, he's got sort of an inverted T wave in three and kind of a flattened slash slightly inverted T wave in AVF. But other than that, I don't see any ST depression or elevation, but I'd probably get a repeat um, in 30 minutes or so just to make sure there's no dynamic change. Um, his chest x-ray definitely looks abnormal. Um, his cardiac silhouette looks maybe mildly enlarged, but most notably he's got Diffuse opacities bilaterally, mostly in like the perihilar region. Um, doesn't really look like a focal pneumonia, more just diffuse, maybe a pulmonary edema or a multifocal pneumonia. The 
apices are pretty clear. Um, I don't see any obvious effusion. And then his BMP, um, let me glance through this. Most strikingly, his creatinine is 4.9. So his kidney function is not very good. He also has a bicarb of 8. Um, it says chloride of 60. <laughs> is that supposed to be that? Wow, Doc. <clears throat> this is the nurse speaking. Wow, Doc. That's the lowest chloride I've ever seen. Yeah. Interesting. That doesn't seem right. Um, other than that, his potassium is 5.1. His sodium is 135. Um, he's got a normal glucose. But let's um, send a repeat BMP. I've never seen a chloride that low either. So Repeat BMP um, is already back and unchanged. Huh. So he's got a hypochloremic acidosis. Um, and is he having any vomiting or diarrhea? Uh, he vomited once uh, prior to the ambulance picking him up, but... Um, the patient says otherwise, no. Okay. Um, and then you said his BNP was normal. Have we gotten his troponin back or his D-dimer? Uh, troponin was negative and D-dimer was negative. Okay. Um, so looking at his chest x-ray, it could certainly be a pulmonary edema, but it also looks just kind of like a diffuse, really bad chest x-ray and, the few times I've seen something like this, it's been PJP pneumonia. So I don't know why that's that's kind of high on my list. But I think I still need to keep a broad differential. But um, I uh, am going to go back and ask him some more questions. Has he had any productive cough recently? No cough. Any fevers or chills? No fevers, no chills. Okay. Any runny nose, sore throat? No URI symptoms. Okay. Um, has he lost weight recently? No unintentional weight loss. Okay. Um, and has he ever had um, testing for HIV? Uh, yeah, he was seen at the clinic two weeks ago and it was negative. Okay. Um, okay. So um, certainly concerned about his x-ray. But without a lot of other additional symptoms to go off of, it's a little hard. Can I do a point-of-care ultrasound? I want to take a look at his cardiac function. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, what are you looking for? Um, so I will start in a parasternal long. Um, does he have um, grossly normal-appearing uh, EF, um, good squeeze, equal... Um, Oh, RV less than LV, no evidence of strain, no pericardial yeah. fusion. Yeah, it looks like no evidence of strain. You don't see a pericardial effusion, um, but his EF is moderately depressed um, and his IVC is plethoric. Okay. Um, so definitely it seems like the diagnosis that loops everything together is heart failure, um, given his peripheral edema, he has a reduced EF and plethoric IVC, um, and 
his chest x-ray definitely looks pretty terrible. So um, let's give him a dose of 40 of IV Lasix um, and one nitroglycerin. And let's see if that improves his oxygenation and shortness of breath. Uh, the nurse wants to confirm, um, hey, doc, uh, this guy looks like he's in renal failure. Are, are you sure you want to give the Lasix? Oh, that that's true. Um, I'll go back and ask him, does he still urinate regularly? Uh, doc, you know, come to think of it, I haven't peed in about 36 hours. And have you ever been told that you have problems with your kidneys? No. Okay. Um, so, um, the, the nurse chimes in, Hey, Hey, Hey doc. Um, what, what was that thing you said he had? He had a hypochloremic metabolic acidosis. Ah, uh, yes. He probably has a toxic ingestion and I hate these. <laughs> um, have you had anything to drink today besides, you know, your typical beer or liquor? Well, yeah, I, I actually ran out of beer, but I got this this blue stuff. It tasted sweet. Um, it was really good and got me drunk really quick. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I'd like to add a lab for, um, for, I think it's like a volatile screen at our hospital, but it, it gets the toxic alcohols, the methanol, um... And he definitely is going to need admission to the hospital and dialysis. So I'd like to go ahead and reach out to um, my medicine colleagues and nephrology. Um, and I probably need a serum osms. Okay. Um, nephrology says, yeah, we agree. Go ahead and admit him. Um, how are we doing dialysis, by the way? Um, so he probably needs a Vascath placed, um, so I can do that as well. Okay. Uh, catheter is placed appropriately. You confirmed on x-ray. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> is there anything else you want to do? Do you want to talk to the patient? Do you want to, your time has expired, but we're giving you an extra couple minutes here. Um, yeah, I can tell him he's going to be admitted to the hospital. The type of alcohol that he drank is not safe and has caused damage to his kidneys and he will need to be admitted for further workup and, um, in order to get this off. Okay. Anything else? Uh, I think you're supposed to give bicarb and I probably should get a VBG too to figure out his pH. Okay, uh, VBG comes back 7.12 with a PCO2 of 17. Okay. Um, yes, so I can give him a bicarb drip, so three amps of bicarb in a liter of fluids, D5W, I believe. Uh, and I'm sure that ends my case. <laughs> that... And your case. That was a fun one, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go through how you did, let's talk about our sponsor for the month, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Pearson Rabbits is my own independent disability insurance broker. 
They helped me obtain specialty-specific own occupation disability insurance. And Stephanie Pearson knows the importance of getting a true own occupation disability insurance policy from her personal experience. As a practicing OBGYN, she unfortunately suffered a career-ending injury while at work and had to fight in the court system for years to get the disability benefits that she was entitled to. Now, she fights to make sure we do not have to go through the same process that she did. Pearson Ravitz specializes in helping physicians obtain true own-occupation disability insurance. Don't wait until it's too late. Check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation appointment today. If you do, don't forget to mention EM Clerkship. And now, back to the episode. All right, Maddie. <laughs> so, what? Paint me a picture. What? What is this case? What? What was this? So, I'm pretty sure it's ethylene glycol poisoning. Yes. Great. I'm, I always get my toxic alcohols confused, and I couldn't think of what it was, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure now that's what it was. Yes, you are correct. Um, how do you think you did? Not great. <laughs> Why not? Well, I, I didn't... I kept latching on to the chest x-ray and the sat, and I kind of forgot about, like, the renal failure and the... The chloride being that low just really threw me. And so I don't think I really put it all together. And I wouldn't have had you not prompted me. Yeah, this is tough. This is really tough. And um, there was a very intentional reason that I sent you a picture of the BMP instead of narrating it out loud. um, Because I was hoping you would recognize that something was off and you did. Um, But when you see a chloride that low, I mean... There's only one thing this is going to be, and it's going to be a super high anion gap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- there's anion somewhere that we're not detecting. So if you actually calculated the anion gap out, it would have been 135 minus 60 minus 8. So like 55, I think, some, something around there. So ridiculously yeah. high. Um, okay, you picked up on the the hypoxemia and the volume overload um, due to renal failure. So that was great. Um, Also, one thing I thought you did really well, that dirty bicarb drip. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Three amps of bicarb. I'm just like, talks people love bicarb. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I can't remember if you have to alkalinize the urine. I can't remember which ones you're supposed to do, but he's acidotic. I was like, that sounds good. We're going to do that. Yeah, so so I think the the jury is kind of still out there on uh, bicarb for these patients. I mean, ultimately, the, the patient needs dialysis, um, which yeah. you, you were spot on for and you recognized. Once, once you got the diagnosis, it all just kind of fell into place. Um, but for those of you who are listening, um, if you need to make a bicarb drip in a jiffy, the, the way to do it is what is called a dirty bicarb drip. So you can get three amps of bicarb from your code cart and push those into a liter of, typically we use D5W, um, and that will give you a drip that you can hang um, and give as a bicarb infusion, and it's quick and easy. Um, So I thought that was cool, um, though it necessarily was not a critical action. 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, let's talk about the critical actions and then we'll kind of dive a little deeper into this case. So my five, I had five critical actions for you and one bonus style point for you. Um, mm. So the first critical action was recognize hypoxemia and place the patient on oxygen, which you did. Second critical action was to diagnose a toxic alcohol ingestion, which was ethylene glycol, which you did. Third critical action was place a dialysis line for emergent hemodialysis and consult nephrology, which you did. The last two critical actions were unfortunately missed, but a lot of this was time and pressure related. Um, Number four, there is an antidote for toxic alcohol ingestion. Do you know it off the top of your head? No, I do not. It's fomepazole. So administering. Oh, I did know that. <laughs> administering. I thought that was. Is that for both ethylene glycol and methanol? I could. That's the other thing. I can't keep the two straight. And yes, it, it, you can use okay. it for both. Um, so that is number four, and then number five um, is kind of a little out there but i mean you put it together without this but once you recognize the anion gap was super high i was hoping that you would kind of work up um, the causes of anion gap metabolic acidosis a little further um you know there's not a lot of things that cause an anion gap as high as this patient's but certainly there are other things that can could be causing this right mm-hmm. yeah um Speaking of which, do you have a mnemonic that you use for anion gap acidosis? I don't because I hate mnemonics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair. Um, Fair. I mean, like, there's mud piles and stuff, but that always, like, just makes me angry. Um, But in this case, would have been helpful (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i am a mnemonics person um so mud piles is what i use um and really briefly it stands for methanol is the m uremia is the u dka is the d um the p is paracetamol which is acetaminophen uh i is either isoniazid or iron l is lactate e is ethanol or ethylene glycol and then the S is salicylates. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. I just <laughs> stubborn in that way. <laughs> um, I do think it's it's important though because you know I've seen a million DKAs, I've seen a million lactic acidosis, I've seen uremic acidosis, but I have yet to see either uh, toxic alcohol ingestion, and so. It is important to remember that and not let it fall off your differential, which probably would have been helpful for me if I was thinking about that more systematically. (laughs) Yeah, so I I was hoping to kind of get you stuck between either toxic alcohol ingestion and uh, alcoholic ketoacidosis. And Mm -hmm. the one test that you would get to kind of distinguish these would be serum ketones, right? Alcoholic ketoacidosis would have elevated ketones, um, whereas... Toxic alcohol ingestion should not. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, so we we talked about that. Um, I have another question for you. So the patient had no two sat of like 86%, um, but was pretty tachypnic, like 26, 28, I forget what I told you. Um, we see patients all the time who are minimally hypoxic, who have no increased work of breathing. Why was this guy so tachypnic? 
Yeah, because he's trying to compensate for his acidosis. Yeah. Which I also, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been writing down the vitals uh, for most of this for all of intern year, and then I forgot the O2 sat, and so I decided I was gonna start writing down the vitals, <laughs> and I was so proud of myself because I remembered it. But in doing that, I kind of breezed over the how to Kipnik he was. And you're right, that's definitely not your typical drunk guy who just needs to metabolize whether or not he's in a ketoacidosis. Um, that's not, that'd have to be a pretty profound uh, ketoacidosis for that to start happening. Yeah, no, you, you nailed it. Um, totally correct. Um, let's see, what else did I want to talk about? Oh, um, actually diagnosing ethylene glycol toxicity and i i'm gonna step on the soapbox here and kind of give my spiel on this um because there there are multiple ways to formally diagnose this um you mentioned one two of the ways actually um so probably the the most quote-unquote accurate would be that volatile alcohol screen test which directly measures uh, methanol or ethylene glycol. Problem is it normally takes a couple hours to come back, and that's even if your hospital can run this Um, Mm in-house. So a lot of the time you you need to act before you get the results of this test back. And so you, you essentially get two options. Option one is the the way we all learned in medical school, and this is with the osmolar gap. Now, the osmolar gap, and I'm not going to go into the the formula on how to calculate a serum osmolality here, but you essentially, you order a measured serum osmolality, and that's what the lab sends you, and then you use this formula to calculate a serum osmolality based on the results of their electrolytes and a couple other things. You subtract the two, and you get an osmolar gap. And when the osmolar gap is elevated meaning greater than 10, um, you should be thinking of a toxic alcohol ingestion. But there's a problem with this. Um, the, the problem is that the reason the osmolar gap gets elevated in the setting of a toxic alcohol ingestion is from ethylene glycol itself. But ethylene glycol itself gets rapidly metabolized into its metabolites, and it's the metabolites that cause the issue. So immediately after drinking the antifreeze or whatever Arthur drank, his ethylene glycol level in his blood is going to be sky high, and as a result, he's going to have a very high osmolar gap. But over the next couple hours, as he metabolizes the ethylene glycol into the toxic byproducts, the osmolar gap is going to fall, and those metabolites cause an elevated anion gap. Mm. So initially, super high osmolar gap, normal anion gap. A few hours, and when I say few, I'm talking like 4 to 16 hours into this process, the patient will have a normal osmolar gap, but a sky-high anion gap. They're kind, of, they're inversely related, um, and that's why osmolar gap is not always the most accurate. And that leads me to the third way you can diagnose is by getting serial anion gaps and looking for an anion gap that is essentially rapidly increasing. And I hadn't actually heard of this until I did research for this case, but that seems to be the most reliable way of diagnosing a toxic alcohol ingestion in the absence of, you know, having the lab test for the volatile alcohol screen available for you. But I thought that was pretty Hmm. interesting. Yeah, all of that I didn't realize about. I knew the osmolar gap thing, but I didn't know that it would essentially go away by the time you're detecting your sky high anion gap. 
And of all the things, serial BMPs is by far the most ED-friendly thing to monitor if you're trying to figure out is this um, toxic ingestion or not because, you know, this guy's awake. But I feel like most of these people are drunk and keep yelling about pizza and don't answer any of your questions. <laughs> um, so I was lucky that he was nice enough to even provide some information. Um, but that could, if you were initially concerned, that could help you kind of figure it out fairly easily. Yeah, it's certainly something we don't see every day, something that the boards love to test you on, um, both written and oral, just because it's it's such a, a testable topic, you know, um, but just something to keep in the back of your head. You'll see it one day and then you'll never forget it. Yeah. Also, you are tricky because I have not had my tox rotation yet. And I've always struggled with tox stuff. And I just keep thinking like, oh, I'll, I'll get it after my tox rotation. <laughs> <laughs> but you caught, you've now given me two very evil tox cases. <laughs> I was about to say, if, if you haven't yet learned, I, I love toxicology. Um, if I was smarter, I would have done a tox fellowship. But I don't I don't think I have the brain power to learn everything that these toxicologists know, but I find it so interesting. So Yeah. I, I do too for the cases. record. It's just it's they are by far the smartest people that I work with and I agree with you. I'm like, I am not on your level. I'm glad somebody is, but not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um all right. Well, I'm gonna kinda break this down even further on the deep dive, so I'll leave the rest of it for the deep dive. Overall I think I think you did good. You got a little frazzled at the end and ran out of time, but that's okay. This was a really difficult case. Mm-hmm. Um well aside from the case, how are things with residency going? You're like halfway done. You're more than halfway done. Well, I know. It's, it's kind of terrifying. I mean, it's exciting, but terrifying at the same time. Um, but yeah, things are going well. I had several months in the department, um, which was nice to kind of get my second year feet under me. And now I'm doing a lot of my off-service stuff. So I'm on the STICU right now, so Surgical Trauma ICU, which has been fun. I'm a little salty because it's winter time, so it's like not as busy as it is during the summer, but uh, I've still yeah. learned a ton. Um, and yeah, it's been good. Yeah. It's funny how certain rotations are hit or miss like that. My my first rotation of second year, obviously in the middle of July, uh, was your stick you. We called it something else, but I, it was trauma at our like community trauma shop. And I got like nine or 10 chest tubes in like three weeks. Whereas some of my co-residents who had it later, like literally graduated with like four chest tubes and had to do cadaver chest tubes because they, yeah. they didn't get the volume. You know, the trauma rotation just didn't line up with summer and crazy driving and crazy accidents. So it's, it's crazy how seasonal it can be. Yeah, it is weird. Um, but no, it's been good. And I have EMS next, so I'm excited for a little bit of a more chill month. Um, and it'll be fun to just kind of see the other side of things because I never was an EMT um, before school or anything like that. So I just think it'll be really fun to do some of our ride-alongs. Oh, yeah. The, I think that was one of my favorite rotations in residency. We we only got, I think, a week of EMS, but um, it's certainly eye-opening and it... it um, makes you respect EMS so much more than we already do. I mean, their their job is just so difficult. 
um, and yeah. riding along with them and seeing the environments that they're forced to enter and, you know, their own safety is being put at risk by entering these people's homes. And it, it's it's eye opening. I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, I think that's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, please direct any questions, any comments about the case to our emails. Mine is mike at emclerkship.com. Mine is maddie, M-A-D-D-I-E, at emclerkship.com. And we're going to continue featuring listener questions on the deep dive, so keep them coming our way. But until next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.